by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. My friend Hal, when me and him were teenagers, his dad had one of the first fiberglass bass boats made. They weren't fancy back then, they were just these little things look funny you sat down in the bottom of them with a couple chairs and they didn't have a steering wheel you had like a, a a stick you drove with a stick you pushed it this way to go right and you pulled it back to go left but he did have a 40 horsepower chrysler motor on the back of him we were really excited about that and we bugged his dad till he finally let us take it to the lake we felt like we was adults getting you know 13 year olds driving the boat to the lake and so <laughs> we we did everything early back in those days so we, we were able to get the boat in the water. This time we, remi- we remembered to put the plug in it and everything. And so we got out there, and we cranked that Chrysler, and she hummed, and, and we took off across the lake, and we spent the whole morning just seeing what that baby would do. And it would do pretty good, you know, for a little old light boat. That 40 horsepower would push it. We finally sat down out in the middle of the lake to rest a minute, and then this thought came to me, and I said these words. Oh, I don't know what I was thinking. But I said, I wonder what this baby will do in reverse. <laughs> Some of y'all must have never been on a boat before. <laughs> but that triggered Hal to, to want to find out. So he got the throttle and he slammed it all the way in reverse. Now he was up front driving. You know, you drove from the front of this boat. And I was in the back, which I would come to regret. He slammed it in reverse, and instead of going backwards, it went down. And that thing, that 40 horse was churning, and it was taking the boat underwater, and I was like waist deep in water in the whole back of the boat, and, the, and I could faintly hear that Chrysler about two foot underwater behind me. I said, hey, hey, and I think I was trying to get Hal's attention, but I think he already knew because he was sitting up straight up in the air like this, you know. And I said, jump, swim. And I'll never forget what Hal said, but I'll tell you later. (laughs) All right, Revelations chapter 1, verse 8. Y'all ready? Are you believing that God's going to do something great here today? I believe he already has, and some of us haven't recognized it. You got to recognize it. You got to expect it. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. That's Christianity in a nutshell. It's what you believe you shall receive. You sitting there today, we just going through church as normal. That's all, That's what you're going to get. But when we went back there to pray this morning, I'm telling you, it ain't church as normal. We don't have a normal anymore. Our normal is what God wants to do every week. Revelations 1.8. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Who is this talking, you think? Who is this saying, I am the one who is right now? I am the one who was with us this morning in praise and worship. I am the one who is with you right now. Who is that? 
Who is the one who always was throughout your whole life? Who was it that we've been preaching about? You said, well, we've been preaching in the Old Testament. We don't talk about Jesus much. Who was in the Old Testament? And who is the one still to come? Do you believe that? We're going to talk about that too. Maybe not today, but we're going to get to that. The one who is still to come, and he is the almighty. Say almighty. Say alrighty, almighty. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Today's message is part eight called Jesus all along. Because I'm going to convince you that everything we've been preaching about was Jesus all along. All of mankind before he created the earth, all through the Old Testament where his name does not even appear, was Jesus all along. And in all of your life, from before you were born, when you were put in your mother's womb, it was Jesus all along. It was Jesus with you when you should have died seven different times. In your darkest hour, in your deepest joy, when you lost your parents, when you lost your kids, when you lost your sister or brother, it was Jesus all along, right there. Last week we talked, we got, we got to the point where we're first Kings, second Kings in the Bible, first, second Chronicles, where it talks about the kingdom had split, you remember? It was just the nation of Israel, and half of them got mad at the king, and ten of them went and started their own nation, and two of them, Judah, started their own nation. It was Israel and Judah, and they were split. And then you had the series of good king, bad king. You remember last Sunday? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Go back and listen to the podcast or watch it on YouTube. Our YouTube channel's got got all the preaching videos. You can get caught up. But we talked about good king, bad king. Then there'd be another good king. And there'd be a bad king, and another bad king. And they got to where it was a lot of bad kings and very few good kings, and even the good kings weren't that good. You remember? But Jesus tells us that a, that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so even the apple of God's eye, the nation of Israel, pushed God to the point where he said, enough is enough. For years and years, he sent prophets to prophesy that if you don't get right, my wrath is going to come. But bad king after bad king refused to to heed the advice of the prophets. And God finally got fed up. You know, God gets to a point where he's going to turn you over to yourself. And that's something you don't want. So he sends the nation of Babylon. They became the world's superpower. And they had a king called Nebuchadnezzar. And he came and he burnt down the city of God, Jerusalem. And he tore down the temple of God. You think, well, how? That must be the most wicked man on the earth. No, God sent him. Because that temple didn't have the presence of God in it anymore. Nobody worshiped there. It had become just stones stacked, stacked upon each other. It had become a nation without God in its government, a nation without God in its schools. It had become a nation that shunned God altogether. 
And God said, enough is enough. If my people who are called by my name won't humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, what am I supposed to do? And they wouldn't. So God sent King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, well, we'll rally and our God will fight for us. Then, they, you know, they always call on God at the last minute, right? And God said, no, I won't. You're going with Nebuchadnezzar. And you do good to do what he says. And so Nebuchadnezzar kills most of them, puts some of them, carries them off into captivity. And that's where you, you get the stories with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Daniel, and all those, if you remember that portion of the Bible, of the Scriptures. But during that time, prophets like Isaiah, and Amos, and Hosea, and Daniel, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Zechariah, and Haggai, and Ezra, and Malachi, they were prophesying this whole time. That's, where the, that's the time period that these prophets lived in. These were the ones prophesying the doom that nobody would listen to. They were carrying forth the word of God, and we stoned them. We made them outcasts, and we wouldn't listen to them. We wouldn't listen to the word of God. And so the nation of Israel and the tribe of Judah along with them was put into an adult timeout, into a nation timeout. I always tell the guys down at the jail, you know, this is an adult timeout. If you were still out on the streets, you'd probably be dead right now. God's given you a chance. Like you take your children, you go sit them in the corner, and you say, you stay there, and you think about what you're, the way you're behaving. He gives you an opportunity to turn it around. That's what he does for those down at the jail. That's God's mercy. Some of you... You, you got high cholesterol and all these health issues and you have a heart attack or something and you call and say, oh, the devil put me in the hospital. No, God's giving you a wake-up call. You better start eating right. God's giving, if you ain't dead, God's giving you another chance, but he's trying to get your attention. And so he puts the whole nation of Israel in a timeout and they're carried away into captivity. And their temple is destroyed and the walls of Jerusalem knocked down. And so this happened in uh, 586 B.C. But exactly 70 years later, in 516 B.C., you get the story of Nehemiah coming back and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Somebody who humbled himself and prayed and said, God... He said, my chains are gone. I've been set free. And I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the king let him go. You remember? And they, they rebuilt the temple. It wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's temple had been, but it was nevertheless a temple. And they began worship, and they began to, start to uh, celebrate the Passover and the things that God's people were supposed to do again. But then Nehemiah went back to serve his king because he was a cupbearer. And every couple of years, he'd come back and check on the progress in Jerusalem. And guess what? They started being people again. What did they do? They didn't take care of the temple. Nobody was given. Nobody was serving. They all was building their own houses. And God's work was not being taken care of. So between the book of Malachi 
in the book of Matthew, Old Testament to New Testament, there was a 400-year period of silence from heaven. Uh, they call it the intertestamental period. You know, scholars, they always got to come up with a big word that us regular folks don't understand. But it was a period of silence from heaven. <clears throat> no more prophets were speaking. And so did the, the people of Israel get concerned that they weren't hearing from heaven? That God was Have you ever been through a period where you're not hearing from God at all? I don't know, but for me, that's a very scary place to be. I'm crying out. I'm seeking after God. Please, God, speak to me, Lord. Don't let me feel so alone. And I know God's with me. Sometimes in the New Testament, with the Spirit of God on the inside of you, you just got to walk by faith. But it don't, don't make me stop crying out. Lord, don't take your presence from me. I, I, the relationship is the best part, the talking to me and the, the setting up my life and me seeing your hand at work. Please, don't, Lord, don't put me through these dry smells, these valleys. And so I pray my way through the valley. Ain't that what you do? But these people didn't. For 400 years, they're like, fine. What have we... Well, let's just say they continued to be what we call human. Why are we like this? Why are we like this? Everything I've preached, seven messages to date, have proven that all that we can be is human without God. No conscience will help us to do right. No human government will cause us to stay in line. No amount of promises from God will excite us enough to do right. No law will scare us into doing right. We just keep doing what our sinful nature wants to do. Even the Apostle Paul says, the thing I don't want to do is the thing I do, and the thing I do want to do is the thing I don't do. And he went on about the Apostle Paul now, who wrote most of the New Testament, says, man, I can't stop this thing. This train is in my life. This train of sin is leading me down the tracks. I don't want to go. What do I do? I mean, they were, these humans walked with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden, and it wasn't enough to stop the lure of sin. And don't you sit there with these halos acting like you don't have the lure of sin in your life. Every one of you are sitting there saying, man, I know I struggle in this area, and you're feeling bad about it. Hopefully. Or you're trusting God about it. Have you found otherwise in your life? Has anybody totally escaped this, this, you know, like the earth has gravity. It's like the gravity is the pull of sin. It just keeps pulling us down. God wants us to soar, but we keep getting pulled down to the earth. Are you not experiencing that? Hopefully you're not looking at me and saying, well, you're the pastor. Surely you got it under control. I'm here to tell you that every pastor that's ever put on his britches struggles the same way that you do. Even Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. 
He was the only one without sin. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. He's talking about the sinners. We didn't really seek him. He sought you. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Well, thanks, Pastor. We really feel good about ourselves now. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is like darkness. Say darkness. You remember when, when we started this message, we talked about darkness came into the heart of man? Dead in our sins and trespasses. It says they do not know what makes them stumble. Sinners sin and they don't even know why. And we have the, the pull of sin in our lives and we don't know why. We're like, take this from me, God. Take this from me, God. God says you overcome it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You have a part to play in this. It's our sin nature been here since Adam and Eve God said let there be light but man said no no we'd rather have darkness and the darkness separated us from the light of life during this time when God was pleading with the nation of Israel before he had to finally send judgment basically like he's doing with America today he's pleading with us would somebody humble themselves and pray? It, I used to think, well, there's no way. This nation is too far gone. We're not going to humble ourselves as a nation. He didn't ask the nation to. He said, if my people well, praise the Lord. We have six that show up on Tuesday night. To pray. Isaiah prophesied in Chapter 9, verse 2, he said, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, in this valley of the shadow of death we call earth, those who live in the land of darkness, a light will shine. Wait a minute. Is there hope? Wait, a light shining in the middle of all this darkness? Does God really have a rescue and evacuation plan? Wait a minute. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light to shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Say, in the face of Jesus Christ. That is your light. That is your hope. That is the way that you overcome sin is looking into the face of Jesus. It's not trying to be a better person. It's not developing better habits. All those things will come, but you must first have the light to do it with. And that light is in the face 
of Jesus Christ. That means a relationship, a personal staring into the eyes of your Lord and Savior to know Him and the power of His resurrection. To know Him. The relationship, the face of Jesus. You must have the face before you get the strong right arm to overcome. You understand? It's the relationship and the light. The light to overcome. Jesus himself would affirm Isaiah's prophecy. In Matthew 4.16, he says, The people who sat in darkness. Notice the past tense. He's quoting Isaiah now, but he's telling it up to date. He's saying the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Can you imagine hearing him say that and looking in his face? And those who lived, say lived, in the land where death cast his shadow, a light has shined. Praise God. The light is here. All the light that you need to live without sin in your life is here and it's in the face and the relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you. And some of, some of us, the only time we pray is when we get in trouble, when we need a miracle. You wouldn't have to live miracle to miracle if you saw the face of Jesus every day, if you walked in glory. The Bible says even his shadow is light. You can walk in the light as he is in the light. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You just have to walk with Jesus. Hallelujah. John 1, 2 says he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. I told you he was here in the Old Testament. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone, at least everyone who would receive him, right? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, can never extinguish the light. There's no amount of darkness that we could bring into this room right now that would extinguish that one light bulb. Light simply overcomes darkness, and the light that you need is in the relationship that you can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. You said, I ain't been preaching about Jesus. Who said that? Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told Paul in Acts 26, 18, he says, Go to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and given a place among God's people who are set apart by what? What sets us apart? Didn't we already have a message on this so far? What puts us in right standing with God? What gives us access to the throne room? What gives us the light of life? It's our faith in Jesus. Though you can't see Him, you love Him. Faith in me. 
Jesus said. Jesus said in John 12, 46, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their faith or trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I'm here to tell you today, good news, come out from among them and be ye separate. Walk with Jesus instead. Okay, so you've been a knucklehead. He's easy, quick to forgive. Cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness and let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. Just begin to walk with Jesus. We don't do so well on the throne. We don't make good kings of our own life. God showed that. He said, no, I'm your king. They said, no, we want an earthly king. Well, you saw how those kings acted. And they plunged the nation into sin. We've got a king. Daniel 7, 13. Daniel had a vision, you see. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the son of man. Coming in the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. In other words, he came into the presence of his father. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over the nations of the world so that the people of every race, nation, and language would obey him. And his rule is eternal, and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And I'm here to tell you, it's been Jesus all along. Say Jesus all along. Whew. It's been Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's by Jesus. It's through Jesus. My goodness. Don't let that become just church talk to you. Let it become a living reality. It's who I am. It means the most to me. More than anything in this life is my Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Fulfillment of the covenant promises made to Abraham. He's the fulfillment of the law of Moses. He is the promise to David that he would always have a king on the throne. It's been Jesus all along. He's the one that walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. He's the one that stayed Abraham's knife when it hovered over his son Isaac. And he said, wait a minute, Abraham. I'll go and be sacrificed and said. He was the one that came firsthand to examine the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was the one that patiently wrestled with Jacob on the banks of the Jabbok. He was the one with compassion who had come and met Hagar out in the wilderness. He was the He was in the burning bush. He was on the fiery mountaintop and met with Moses face to face. He was the angel of heaven that spoke with Joshua outside the walls of Jericho. You tell me Jesus ain't in the New Testament, I'll call you a lie. He is the word of God from the beginning to the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. It's been Jesus all along. And how has he revealed himself to you? Any different? Don't you have a testimony? Sure you do. Sure you do. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. 
Sometimes I just got to preach hard and make myself happy. Y'all got to forgive me. Woo! That football coach come out in me. I don't know about what your Bible says, but here in this New Living Translation, it's, it starts this verse with a little subtitle. It says, Christ is supreme. He's not the, he's not the little low octane. He's supreme. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Thus the song Mary, when you look at the face of your little baby, do you realize you're looking at the face of God? The disciples were looking in the face of God. You say, I've never seen God. Well, the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. It's talking about the Father because the Father is a spirit. But it says here that Christ is the visible image that you need to know. He came to show us what the Father looks like. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all of creation. It don't go any higher. There's not in a court above Jesus that you can appeal to. For through him God created everything. That includes you. Please includes the shoes you're wearing. In heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. And we're not going to go into that. But the spiritual realm is more real than this natural realm. And there's more things in it than we can imagine such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in this unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Have you ever created anything you don't want? Why would you create something you didn't want it? You already didn't have it, so why would you create it if you didn't want it? But he created you anyway, didn't he, Lois? No, because he wanted you. He wanted you. Erica, he wanted you. He wants you. He wants all of us. Because we were created for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. And he'll hold your life together if you let him. Christ is also the head of the church. He's certainly the head of this church. If he tells me to do a cartwheel right now, I'll get to carting. <laughs> Y'all might have to take me to the chiropractor afterwards. He's the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. In everything. Look at your neighbor said, in everything. Is he first in everything in your life? Oh, can you, could you look at your neighbor and say, yeah, he is. He's first in my life. He, he's more important than my job. He's more important than my bank account. He's more important than my child. But my kid needs to play soccer on Sundays. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Wait, what? God in all of his fullness 
Who can contain God? What could contain God? But God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ Jesus. He was the fullness of God. You don't need anything other than Jesus Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. Thank goodness for the blood of Jesus. I've been made right with God. All that darkness that had pervaded in my life and ruled in my life, it's all been forgiven. I can stand before you right now knowing what a knucklehead I've been, and I can either let it hold me down or I can say I am what I am by the grace of God. And I'll do what I do by the grace of God. Hallelujah. I don't have to be held down. God has changed my life. It's been Jesus all along. It's been him pursuing you. And he still is. We're going to finish with John chapter 5, verse 39. And I don't typically preach out of the message paraphrase, so don't take it like Scripture, but I'm just going to say, tell you what it says because it's so good. It's a man's opinion of what the Scripture, the way he would write it. It's not actual scripture, so I'm giving you that, clarifying that for you. But John 5, 39 in the message paraphrase says, You have your heads in the Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am, standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. You say you want eternal life. You say you want to serve Jesus. You say, oh, I want to fulfill all of God's plans for my life. I want to be a blessing. I want to love everybody. You post it all over Facebook. You say all these things, but you won't receive it. You stare in the scriptures and you say, okay, I'm going to use God's wisdom. But you can't use God's wisdom without God. This is mere logos without the rhema. This is a spiritual book. And without Christ, it don't mean anything to you. I'm telling you, the relationship comes first. You must have the face of the Lord Jesus Christ before anything else makes sense in your life. The things you say you want. The things you say you want, but you're not having. Go back to the beginning. To that first love. Say, God, rekindle the fire in my heart. Let me burn with passion to be with you. You seek ye first the kingdom of God and his right, righteousness. And all, all the other stuff will be added unto you. We got one job to seek. He said, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me with your whole heart, 
Here I am. You'll find me. If you even knock, I'll open. Or if you hear me knocking, won't you open and we'll have supper together. Why would you have Jesus sitting out on your stoop and not let him in? It may sound funny, but we got to get back to first things first. If we don't remember why we do what we do, we won't do it. We won't have the things we say we won't. There's our why, people. Love God, his people, and his purposes. But you won't love his people and you won't love his purposes if you don't love God. It's your relationship. It's looking into the face of light and life himself. So, okay, so I'm underwater, right? And I'm hollering, swim, jump, swim through the bank. And Hal says, hold on. And he, and he grabs that throttle and pushes it all the way forward. And that old Chrysler underwater now, completely underwater, says, and jumps us up back on top of the water. And we're safe and sound. And that's what I'm just trying to tell you. Y'all want a Hal story? Put that Hal, picture of Hal up. Okay, so anyway, I'll give you a Hal story. I was going to show you a picture of Hal standing right over here in this church about the time I became pastor, and he came over here to tell me he got saved, and he gave his heart to Jesus, and he's playing bass in his church in Bahia. Now, this ain't the Hal. I mean, you look at Hal's life and the stories I tell, and I, didn't even, I just told you the good ones about him. You know what I'm saying? You look and say, ain't no way that boy's going to. Do you know people that's like, no, ain't no hope for them. They done been around that mountain too many times. I just, God can't do anything with them. You're wrong. Jesus is like that Chrysler motor. Your life will be drowning. You'll be going underwater, and he'll pull you up, jump you up on top of the water. You'll be as dry as, as a biscuit. <laughs> as a flaky biscuit. And he'll be the honey on top. There he is. He used to have long red hair flowing all the way down to his shoulders when we were growing up. And I had a black mustache. That's why I shaved that off because it was black and all of this was white. It looked funny. Okay, when you're going under, Jesus is the way to get back on top. Like I said, Revelations 1.8 says, I am the one who is. Jesus says, I'm the one who always was. And I am the one that's still to come. What's still to come in your life? Is it going to be good? Can we have hope, a glimmer of light that the rest of our life, our former year, our latter years are going to be greater than our former years? Can we have that hope? Because Jesus is still to come in my situation? Because we're trusting Him? We have that hope. My hope is, my anchor is Jesus. The hope of my life. 
Hallelujah. And maybe next week we'll get to the part where we talk about when he does come, the rapture of the church, and then maybe even what happens after that. We're going to talk about some important stuff that we need to be preparing our hearts for because we're living in a time that the prophets are speaking, the people are saying that you can't keep, God's saying you can't keep going like this, America. You can't keep going like this, church in America. We've got to get our lives right. We've got to humble ourselves and pray, and God will turn, turn our situation. We, we want to be like the wise virgins who had oil in their lamp, waiting for the return of the Lord. We don't want to be caught unawares. We don't want to miss out. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.